Amen. So Romans chapter number six is where we're going to begin tonight. Romans chapter number six. And we're going to be beginning in verse number 16. Now, Romans chapter six is a pretty foundational chapter in the Bible. You're always dealing with sin and the spirit. And one of the things that you see at the beginning of chapter six is, is you know, the most, one of the more famous passages about baptism and what baptism is. It represents us being dead to the world, amen, identifying with the death of Christ and being raised up to new life, amen. You know that you can't live a Christian life unless you first go through the Christian death. You, you, you can't live for God unless you first died with Christ. You, you have to die to the flesh. If, if you try to live for God and allow your flesh to live at the same time, understand what Jesus said about serving two masters. You can't do it. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time because you're going to love one and hate the other. And so that's why the, the, the foundation to Christian life is the crucified life. And this is why it's not taught anymore. It, it, it's just something that is a bygone term, but the crucified life is the Christian life. And, and, and if you're not living a crucified life, if you're not laying down your flesh daily, if you're not laying down your worldly desires and allowing God to raise you up to new life, then you're always going to have this struggle. You're always going to have this, this old man, new man battle going on. Amen. You're always going to be whooped. You're always going to be, you're, you're, you're going to be like that hamster on the wheel going through that cycle. You're going to be on, on the cycle for God. Then you're going to go up, 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 and then you're going to crash back down. And then you're going to think, oh, and then you're going to go back up, and then you're going to go back down. Amen? I want you to know that God doesn't want you to live on that, on that hamster wheel cycle. And, and, and the hamster wheel is only there when we are not identifying with the death of Christ. When we have not truly been raised up to new life in Christ, then we're we're going to consistently get on that hamster wheel. We're going to be burning for God. We're going to do great things for God. And then we're going to forget about God. And then we're going to crash and burn. And then we're going to leave and walk away from God. And then we're going to crawl to God. And then we're going to burn for God. Then we're going to do great things for God. And then we're going to forget about God. It's just that cycle will be on. And so... And, and what I'm saying is Romans 6 is that foundational message where you pick up this understanding about the crucified life that Paul's teaching and Paul lives. He explains it even further in Galatians 2, but we don't have time to go there tonight. But let's, let's travel down to verse number 16 in Romans 6. I want to show you something here. It says in verse number 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servant to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now understand this, sin is a taskmaster. It's not a patty cake friend. Sin is a taskmaster. What, what do we mean by that? Sin is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a slave driver. You may play with sin a little bit, but sin's not playing with you. You may entertain worldliness for a little bit, but the world is not playing with you. You see, when, when you identify what sin is, it becomes a little bit clear. Sin is a taskmaster. And the Bible says here that to whom you obey, you're that 
servant. You, you know why some people can't get past their, their flesh? It's because they serve the sin nature. They obey their flesh at every turn. They will not say no to the flesh and yes to God. And if you get on that boat where you never say no to your flesh, you know, it's, it's like if a kid asks for ice cream 24 hours a day. At some point, you got to say no or they're going to get sick. And at some point, you gotta be, you got to be sick and tired of serving sin. You have to get sick and tired of where sin leads you. And, 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 and make no mistake, sin leads you somewhere. See, this message is about the road that sin will take you on. It, it, and, and sin is not there to entertain you. Sin is not there to play patty cake with you. Sin is there to destroy you. Sin is there to destroy you, but Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of sin. But sin is a taskmaster. It gives you, everybody say me. Sin gives you the illusion of being in control. I can handle it. I, I, know, I know I curse a little bit, but I got it under control. No, you don't because the Bible's lying on you. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that means that your fountain, it cannot bring forth that which is sweet and that which is bitter. Amen. We cannot serve sin and we cannot serve the spirit at the same time. We can't be walking in righteousness and walking in our flesh at the same time. We are going to obey one or the other. Amen. And God's desire is that we walk away from sin. Amen. And God will give you the strength. But we have to make that determination and say no to the flesh. It says here that, that to whom you make yourselves servants to obey, then you're going to be bound by them, whether it's by righteousness and obedience or by sin. And, and sin works death. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week was sowing and reaping. And when you sow to the flesh, it reaps, it, it, it brings in a harvest of, of worldly consequences. It brings in destruction, amen? It brings in destruction and, and it brings in all kinds of, of horrible things. And one of the things I wanted to point out about sin, it, 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 and we're not just talking about going and selling drugs on the street corner, Amen. We're not talking about going and selling drugs on the street corner. We're, we're talking about anything that is outside of God's will for your life. We're talking about disobeying God in even the little things. You know, a white lie is still a lie. A white lie and a black lie in God's eyes is a lie. And God said liars will what? Liars will not what? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They have their part in the lake of fire, don't they? Whether it's a white lie or a, back, a black lie. And so one of the things I want you to see is sin in God's eyes. It's, it's anything that is disapproving of God in his work in our lives. Whether it is something good and we just don't do it or it's something bad and we do it. Are you hearing me? There's just as much sin in not doing what is good. See, that's one of the problems in the church today, with men in the church in particular. Men in the church in particular are not putting their toes on the line. 
in doing what they're supposed to do. This is why there's such a void in the church. That's why the church has lost its voice is because men, amen, men are not putting their toes on the line. Men are effeminate in their spiritual walk with God. We want to play patty cake and sing around campfires, but we don't want to get on our knees and fight for our families. And you see, it, it, and, 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 and here's the thing. We, we want to just go to a conference, amen? But the thing about a conference is this. When you go home, are you changed? That's the thing. You can go and high-five everybody in the whole world, but when you go home, if you're not changed, what did it accomplish? And this is the cycle we're in in the church is because we're not putting our toes on the line and being the men of God that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be holy without blame in every area of life. Even when nobody's looking, nobody should even have a cause to doubt what we're doing. Nobody, we shouldn't even give any, the appearance of evil. Amen? When, when somebody walks in the room, we, don't have to, we shouldn't have to cower over what we're doing because we should be doing what is right and what is just and what is holy at all times. And when we're not, we are not men of God. You see, the, the, this, this whole thing about conferences is highs. It takes you to this high, amen? But then when you get back home, you go back down into normal living. And God wants to keep you in a spirit place, amen? Not, not go from, from conference to flesh, but to live in the spirit. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out, though, is that sin is a taskmaster, is it not? Sin is a taskmaster. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. So Hebrews chapter number 10 is going to be our next passage. Now, the reason that sin is a taskmaster is because you're either going to be bound to God or mammon, one or the other. You're going to be bound to, to serve God or serve the flesh. And, and, and everything that is godly is good and righteous and holy. And everything that is not godly is sin. So it, if the devil may not be able to get you to go sell drugs on the street corner, but he may get you to stop praying when God wants you to. He may get you to stop worshiping when God wants you to. He may get you to not have that fire that you once did. Amen? It, 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 and just because he can't get you to go sell drugs on the street corner doesn't mean he doesn't have you. Oh, come on now. Just because he can't get you to go do something that is that aberration out there, just because it's not that, that big thing out there doesn't mean he doesn't have you under his thumb. Many people the devil has, and they go to church every Sunday. Many people the devil has, and they go to church every Sunday. How, how do we know that? Look at the Pharisees. They never missed. Church attendance, church attendance doesn't mean you're of God. However, lack of church attendance, <laughs> lack of church attendance is an issue. You see, it's not whether you go to church or not that's the issue. It's whether you go, why you go. See, it's, not a, it's not a do you go or do you not go. It's if you go, why do you go? And that, those things, you know that we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You can open the door for a little old lady. You, you can give her a hand getting into her car. 
You can give her $20, but you can do it so that you can um, do the Facebook Live thing and so everybody will know how kind and good you are. Right? So you can do the right thing for the wrong reason and God looks at our heart, not on our actions. We're not going to impress God by what we do. We're going to impress God by why we do it. We're going to impress God when we go after God with our whole heart. God's not asking us to, to be the greatest there ever was. God asks us to, to serve him and love him with all of our heart. Jesus, this is that greatest commandment. We're back to that greatest commandment. Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. Not opening doors. Not giving $20. Not giving somebody a, a, a canned good out of my pantry. The greatest good, the greatest thing that God wants us to do is to love him. Love him. How do we show God we love him? This is the question God wants to put in our hearts in this message. How do we love him? Love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. Do you understand whenever God wants you to love him with all your mind, that means he wants you to be attentive to his voice? It means whenever we, whenever we pray, he wants us to shut everything else out and seek him. Whenever we're worshiping, he wants us to be blind to everything else in the room. He wants us to focus on him, sit at his feet. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Well, what's the big thing about the story? I know we say, oh, one was washing dishes and one was at his feet. Yes, at his feet. Not looking at the clock, not texting while at his feet. At his feet, the implication was hanging on every word that proceeded from his mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. You see, the implication on Mary was that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was sitting there attentive to his voice. She desired to learn from him. She wanted to draw closer to him. It didn't matter what was going on on the outside. There could have been a fire truck driving by. There could have been shooting stars going in the night sky. But she was not going to move off of hanging on the words of Jesus. She was not going to allow anybody or anything to keep her back from him amen and this is that desire that that cannot be imitated that you know there were many people in the room but how many people were hanging on his every word how many people were hanging on his every word as if their very life hung on it you see when we go to God and we get into the word of God like that that's where the spirit will begin to speak into our lives whenever we're hanging on to his every word when we treat it as it is manna from heaven Food for our soul, food for our spirit, man. But when we treat it casually, when we come at God casually, we will never find him. God said, if you, when you seek me, seek me with all your heart. You see, if you seek God with a casual heart, you cannot expect to find God like others do. Amen? So one of the things that sin does in our lives this, the, the, the message really is the road that sin will take you down. And here's the thing about it. Sin, first and foremost, 
the desire of the devil to cause a separation between you and God. You can go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. As, as you know, whenever Adam sinned, Adam hid himself from God. The very first sin in the Bible, very first sin in the Bible causes separation between God's man and God. The very first sin in the Bible shows you. See, there's, one, there's a principle about studying the Bible. It's called first mention. First time something happens in the Bible, you can get an, an example or an illustration of what it means. And when sin enters into your life, it enters into your life to cause you to shrink back from God. See, whenever you know that you've missed it, whenever you know that you've missed it or you've blown it or you're not where you should be, it causes you to hide like Adam did. He was hiding behind those trees. The Bible said he was hiding behind those trees. And God came through there and he said, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was, didn't he? Did, did God need bifocals or night vision? No, God knew where he was. God knew where he was. He wanted Adam to come out of the bushes. And when you want to get right with God, you got to come out of the bushes. Coming out of the bushes means, here I am, God. I messed up. I have missed the boat. Lord, please have mercy on me. Look, you're not ready to have your life changed until you're ready to come out of the bushes. Too many people want their lives changed, but they want to stay in the bushes. God wants you to come out of the bushes before your life changes. You, you, you want to change life, but you want to stay back here. God wants you to say, here I am, God. Here I'm a failure. I've messed up, and I'm, I'm, ple I'm pleading for mercy, God. Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me, and God will have mercy on you. You see, God draws nigh to the brokenhearted. That broken and contrite heart, God, he will run to that broken and that contrite heart. You see, those of us who are proud and we haven't sinned in 50 years, what are we to God? Just like looking at a wall. They call them the frozen chosen. God's looking for those of us that can be broken. God's looking for those of us that come to God and say, I want more. God's looking for those of us to say, Lord, I don't want to live in the bushes. I want to live in your presence. I don't want to stay back yonder, God. I want to be where you are. I want to be like Mary. I want to sit at your feet. I don't want to be like Martha. I don't want to be busy doing this, that, and the other. You know, you can be busy doing even good things. Like I said earlier, you can go open doors. You can give, you know, you can carry some little old lady's groceries to her car. You can do great things, and they're all good, and the world's a better place for it, but the world's still going to hell. And if you don't watch out, you might too. You see, the thing is, is we've got to learn to come out of those bushes and love God with the right heart, amen, to get right with God, to ask God for mercy, and God will examine us, and God will change us, and God will renew us, and God will give us strength. And then, we, like that song, right? He took me from the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. Then when we sing that song, you'll be jumping up in the air. You'll be... You know, your toes will be moving a little bit. Have some life in you a little bit. You say, yes, he took me from the clay and he set me on a rock. Amen. And so one of the things that we see here is that, that sin, it, in, in, its initial, in its initial passage in Genesis 3, sin separates Adam from God. 
And, and not only did it cause separation, but it caused a pullback from Adam. Adam went into the bushes. And, 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 and here's the thing. The men, men of God, are still in the bushes. We hadn't come out yet. We hadn't come out. There's times in, church, in the church history when men will come out of the bushes and fight for the things of God. There's times that men of God will come out of the bushes, amen, and, and lay down their worldly cares and fight for the kingdom of God, fight to see his kingdom advance in the world. But right now, right now we're too busy. We're too busy renting, we're too busy renting movies and, and playing games and playing paintball and, and, and playing golf and everything while the world is going to hell. We're too, we can't be bothered. We can't be bothered with kingdom things. We've got our own little world to tend to. And see, God's looking for people who will lay their world to the side and pursue his kingdom and pursue his face and pursue his righteousness. Amen. There's got to be some of us. Amen. There's got to be some of us that say, God, you're worthy. You're, you're worthy of me setting my world to the side. You're worthy of, 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 of taking the preeminence in my life, of everything that I do, running it through what pleases you and what doesn't. You see, if we're not bold enough to live in that place where we run everything through that filter, we're not where God wants us to be yet. That's the filter God wants us to run everything through. Is this pleasing to God or not? And if we're unwilling to do, if we're unwilling to expose why we do what we do to that kind of scrutiny, we've got issues. It means we're doing things for ourselves. Amen. It means we've justified. It means we've justified our actions and our lack of pursuing God. Whenever we're not willing to face that kind of scrutiny, it means that we are, we are justifying an unholy walk say brother Kenny what do you mean it's unholy it's not dedicated to God it's not consecrated to God it's not set apart it's not set if it's not set apart to God what is it if it's not dedicated to God what is it why we do what we do is so important to God it's what makes things go from profane to holy you, you, you don't understand the example I said about the, helping the little old lady with the groceries. When, when, when you do that and you've got to blast it on Facebook Live, or, or you do that, and, 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 and not even for Facebook Live, but just so that everybody around knows, right? Yeah. I'm helping this person with her groceries. Look at me. Now, you may not do it like that, but you know some people do, right? Our motives, God checks. You see, God looks at our hearts. God looks at our hearts, and that should scare us. God knows you better than you know yourself because you lie to yourself. You will lie to yourself. How do we know that? Your heart is deceitful. Jeremiah, right? Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Your heart will tell you everything's all right when your world is rocking. <laughs> your heart will tell you that you're good to go when you're not. Amen. So we've got to measure ourselves against the word of God, not how we feel in our heart. Because every person that's ever lived thought that they were right in their own eyes. It will not help you one bit to think that you're right in your own eyes on judgment day. Uh, pastor, I heard somebody told me that one time. They said, you know, uh, 
I like to go into your church because, you know, every other church that, you know, I felt like I pursued God more than the pastor. But, you know, you, you made me feel, you know, conviction, right? Well, did it change you? No. Well, then what good did it do? Because you're going to do what's right in your own eyes. If you're going to do what's right in your own eyes, it hasn't helped you. You, we've got to get to that place where the word of God takes the preeminence and we judge and evaluate who we are by what it says. Our actions or lack thereof have to be weighed against it. And too many of us are found wanting. Too many of us are found wanting when we're compared to the word of God. So one of the things about sin, it, it, this, this message, and it looks like it'll be a series, so, uh, number one point about sin is it takes you away from God. That's the, that's the goal of sin, is to separate you from God. See, you, when you know that God is for you, God's with you, and God's in you, there is no, no demon in hell that can defeat you. But if you're deceived and in darkness and compromised, you are tripped up. You see, compromise will defeat more Christians than the devil. Compromise will take the power of God out of you. Compromise will relegate you powerless. Compromise will relegate the child of God powerless. You may know all that there is to know. You could score a 100 on a theology test. You might could sing better than anybody that's ever sung. But if you've got compromise in your spirit, you are powerless. God will not share the throne God will not share the throne. He is the king. And if you've got compromise in there, amen, God's going to step back and let you flounder. God's going to step back and let you flounder. Comp There's so many examples of compromise in the word of God. The, the, the easiest one to remember is Eli. Y'all remember Eli? He, whenever Eli found out that his sons were sinners, do you know what he did? They were sinners, and they were in the temple of God, and, and they were doing extremely evil, wicked things in the house of God. You know what Eli did? He just kept whittling on a stick. He didn't say, that's wrong, and he didn't say, I approve. He did nothing. He turned a blind eye is what he did. He compromised. He said, you know what? I don't want to cause a commotion. I don't want to cause a commotion. Well, you know what? If you're going to be a man or a woman of God, God's going to have to use you to cause a commotion because the world needs commotion. <laughs> the world needs commotion. The world needs fearless men and women of God that have the audacity to stand up in front of Herod and say, it is not right that you have your brother's wife. And if you don't have that kind of a boldness in your spirit, what are you? cotton ball we've got to have a backbone and audacity to say what it needs to be said and you can't rely just on your pastor to say it you've God's given you a voice God's given you a walk you know that you testify even by your very actions by the life that you live when you live a compromised walk it's a testimony that you don't trust God when you live for God on Sunday, but you run your mouth like the world on Monday, it's a testimony. You're not right. It's a testimony. Amen? 
that we need, we need God to clean us out. We need to get down to the bottom, to the nitty-gritty and say, God, pull up this root of, of, of wickedness in me, God. Pull it out, Lord. I can't do it anymore. I don't want to live a double life anymore. I want to live for you. I want everything about me to be dedicated and consecrated to you. I want to live a holy life, and I can't do that with this stuff in me, God. I need you to pull it out. And you know God will. God will. God comes to those that are broken and contrite. You see, your broken and contrite won't look like somebody else's, but you've got to get to that place where you're broken and contrite before God will move in your life. Now, here's the thing. So sin causes the separation between God and man. And, and, and the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So what's the number one thing that sin will do? It'll get you to love something else. It'll get you to love something else. It'll get your heart to get set on your, you know how easily your heart can get set on your retirement? You know how easily your heart can get set on finding the right doctor? You know how easily your heart can get set on the wrong thing? And I'm not knocking doctors. I'm not knocking retirements. Everybody needs them. But it's why you seek them. If you realize that God's your provider and you realize God's the great physician and you realize that God is your savior, amen, then you're not going to be petrified when you get the wrong doctor or your retirement goes bankrupt. You walk in faith, amen. And so one of the things that you'll see is that one of the first indications that we begin to go the wrong direction is when we're not loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we're beginning to love something else. We begin to put our heart, right, on, on our work or our family or our income or our belongings or our clothes or, or whatever it may be. We put our hearts on the wrong things, and everybody, everybody is kind of predisposed to going after different things. Everybody, you know, you, you might laugh at somebody who's Faith is in the stock market, right? When the stock market crashes, they're all panicking, right? Where's God? And you're laughing at them. But when your family falls apart, you're going, where's God? And they're laughing at you, right? So we're all kind of predisposed to putting our love and our affection on different things. But the point is, if it's not on God, it's on the wrong thing. That's the point. When we begin to set anything above God, we begin to go amiss. This is where that separation between us and God begins to set in is when we go after something more than God. What is it in your life that you go after more than God? What's more important than God to you? If anything's more important to, to, to you than God, there's your issue. There's your issue. You know that some people can't go to church because... When, when the sun's up, right, we got to play golf. Some, and, 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 you know, I've heard pastors say this before, and it's true. I heard a pastor say this before. He said, you know, used to everybody used to come to church and say, I need you to pray for me to get a job. I need you to pray for me to get a job. And we pray. They get a job. And he said, then they never come to church. Right? I need you to pray for me. They would be faithful. I need you to pray for me to get a spouse. Pray for me to get a spouse. Pray for me. And then they find the wrong one, right? You get a hold of the wrong one, and what happens? You never see them again. You never see them again. He said, that pastor said, I'm not, I'm not praying for nobody else to get a job. He said, if it keeps you in church, I'll pray that you just stay jobless. 
If that's what it takes to keep you right with God, then that's what it takes. Amen? And and, and so you kind of see that that mentality that we only go after God when we need something. What are we doing? We're using God. We're using God for what we really want. And that's what we're getting at. When people use God for what they really want, they've, they've shown what their true God is. You see, when we come to God, if God never gives us another breath or another dollar or another person in our life, he should be enough. I love that there's a song, a worship song. It says, you're more than enough for me. I love that song. You are more than enough for me. And some people, they might be able to sing it, but they don't mean it. Because for some people, God's not enough. They've got to have enough stocks. Or they've got to have a big enough house. Or they've got to have a good enough job or a better family. They've got to have this, that, or the other. They can, they can say, God, you're more than enough, but it's not true in their life. And so that's a, that's a question that will show where we are with God is can we really say and mean to God, Lord, you're more than enough. You are more than enough for me. Whether I get another day or another dollar, you're enough. You're enough. Nobody else may like me, but you love me. And that's more than enough for me. Amen. You get to that, you ever get to that place where you say, you know what, nobody else may worship you, Lord, but I will. What if nobody else in the whole earth, what if everybody else was playing Nintendo or or Facebooking? What if everybody else was was playing Frisbee golf and nobody was singing, would you? Would you? God, you're more than enough. If everybody else makes fun of me, I want you to know, Lord, I'm still going to pursue you. I'm still going to pursue you because you're enough for me. I don't need men's affection. I don't need the things that the world can give. I need you. Just like we were talking about with Mary. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus because she needed those words coming out of the mouth of God. She needed that from him. Amen? And, and, and that's how we show God that we need him is by sitting at his feet. If you never make time for God, what's the problem? If you never make time for God, your priorities are out of whack. If you never make time for God, your priorities are out of whack. That's just the way God is. God wants you to pursue him. God wants you to pursue him. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Amen? It doesn't mean you've got to lock yourself in your corner for 24 hours a day. It means that you've got to pray. And then when you come out of your prayer closet, keep praying. Throughout your day, keep praying. Pray under your breath. Pray out loud. Pray while you're driving. Pray while you're working. Pray, pray, pray. Pray without ceasing. Why? Why do I got to pray so much? I already got everything I want. You don't get the point of praying. Praying, praying is drawing closer to God. It's communicating with the one you love. See, if, if you love something, you, you, here's the thing about guys, right? You, you, you can go in any church in America and say, you know, hey, let's, let's pursue God and his holiness, and everybody's going to look at you weird. But if you say, hey, who won the game last night? Everybody's going to, oh, my team, your team. Everybody's going to get excited. Excited about what, though? Excited about what? See, the point is, the thing, that, the thing that animates us will be drawn to. And if, you're, if what animates you is God, you'll pray. 
If what animates you is God, you'll pray. Now, listen, you've got to cultivate a prayer life. You've got to build it up. It's kind of like running a race. You can't just start out running a marathon. You've got to start out going around your block first. He, it, prayer, it, it, it's a muscle. You've got to work, and you've got to get stronger in it. But it. So it's not about how much you do, but it's about do you pray. It's about do you go after God? Is that what animates your heart? Is there a desire there? Do you even have a desire for a stronger prayer life? See, if, you, if you've even got a desire for a stronger prayer life, you're on the right road. Well, here's something I wanted to point out, though. And I don't, I don't have a, a time to, to, to get into all of it, so we'll finish it next time. But look what it says here in chapter 10, in verse number 23. Well, let's begin with verse number 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And how many of y'all remember from Ephesians chapter 5 what that pure water is? What? It's the word. That's what husbands do, right? They wash their wives with the word of God. They, they pray the word of God over their families. That, and, and it's an imitation of what Christ does for the body. And so one of the things that you see here is that even, even if you don't have a husband that prays the word of God over you, you've got a Jesus that prays the word of God over you. And I assure you, he does a better job than your husband. <laughs> Come on now. And so one of the things you see here is that we draw near with that true heart um, and, and we have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. This is the Lord removing things out of our lives, and the way that he does it is through the word of God. And listen to this, verse number 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised you know what the profession of your faith is? The profession of your faith is what you got saved with. The profession of your faith is that moment you got born again. God said, hold it. Hold fast to it. That, that, that initial time when you came to the end of yourself and you fell at the feet of Jesus, amen? You see, most people look at the cross and they say that's elementary. That's for Sunday school when you're a kid. No, it's not. The, the cross is the be-all, end-all of our faith. The cross is where God meets with you, whether it's behind your steering wheel or in your closet or on your face. In, in, in some room, you're going to the cross whenever you go to God. God will not allow you to come to him through any other means but through Jesus Christ and his cross. And, and, and you're not going to go to the cross in your flesh. You're going to go to the cross on your face. And, and it's there at the, at the cross, amen, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, amen. And it's, it's there at the cross where you first held that profession of faith, where you first believed that God himself, God manifest in the flesh, God himself died on the cross for my sin. The son of God died for my sin, amen. It should have been us. 
It should have been us, but he died for our sin. And so letting our hearts get warmed up on that, letting our hearts draw near to that, hold fast the profession, right? So what's he talking about in this verse? This verse is reminding you of your first love. This verse is reminding you to go back to your first love. Hold fast your profession of faith is telling you get back to that place where you remember you were a wreck. Get back to that place where you remember how messed up you were. Get back to that place where you were lost and on your way to hell. Get back to that place where you were hopeless and you found hope at the feet of Jesus. Get back to that place. Hold fast where you first found God. Hold fast where you first saw the light. Go back to that place where he's number one. See, you're never going to be able to, you're never going to be the man or the woman of God that he's called you to be if you don't hold that first love. If you don't hold position right there, if you allow yourself to graduate from your first love, you will never graduate with God. If you graduate from your first love, you have missed the entirety of everything that God's ever said. God never intended you for, to outgrow your first love. He never intended for you to get dull. He never intended for you to get bored of him. He never intended for you to forget about him. He never intended for you to make priorities over him. He intended for you to reprioritize your whole life to sit at his feet. You see, whenever, when, whenever, whenever you see like a, a guy and a girl in love, right? We call it puppy love or whatever. You know that they, they can't go five minutes without calling each other, right? You remember those? You've seen those on movies. Or you, whenever you first fall in love, you can't go five minutes without. And that's how it is when God is your first love. You see, and, and far too many of us have left our first love. We haven't, read, we haven't even made it to Revelation yet, right? Where, where, where the Lord is rebuking that church, he said, repent, right? Return to your first love. We, we, we've done graduated from our first love. We, we done brushed ourselves off. We picked ourselves up off the floor. We dusted ourselves off. We put on our church clothes, and we walked away from the cross, and we left our first love. And the Bible says here that we are called to hold our profession of faith. Amen? Hold fast the profession of faith. You know what the, the, the word there means, fast means? The, 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 the fast there is what we call a fastener. How many of you all know what a fastener is? It's a screw or a bolt. It, it attaches something to something else. And so it means that you will not allow yourself to love anything more than God. Whenever anything rises up to that level of competition, you recognize it and you remove it in Jesus' name. You will not allow anything to share the throne of your heart with God. You will not allow sports or money or houses or jobs or any other thing under the earth to rival your love and your dedication to your God. You see that? Hold fast that profession. Guard against it because your flesh and the devil will wage holy war against you. Whenever you decide to love God, whenever you decide that you want God, you are, in a, you are on the 
attack. The enemy is attacking you day and night to wear you down, to throw enough stuff in front of you to get you to be disillusioned and stop pursuing. The enemy's desire is to get you off the cross. The enemy's desire is to get you to find meaning and value in other things. What's, you know, and, and it's the little things that'll strike it. You, you, if, if you're not finding your value at the cross, you'll find a boss come pat you on the back and say, you're doing a good job. We might just have to promote you one day. Oh, that's it. That's all you can think about now. That's all you can think about now. That's all you dedicate yourself to now is, is doing better. Being, you know, uh, everything is about work. Work's good, but when it takes the place of God, it's taking the place of God. And anything that takes the place of God is sin. And back to the first point of tonight's sermon, sin separates you from God. Sin is a taskmaster. Sin doesn't play patty cake. Sin is out to destroy us. So the Bible says here in verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Well, without the well, without the but, without the if, Right? If, if, if I could just get this, if I could just get this under control, I would serve. If I could just get a better job, if I could just get a, a, a family, if God would just give me this without the ifs, ands, or buts, right? Without the if, ands, or buts, hold fast the profession of your faith in what God did for you at the cross. Find that. Find your value at the cross. Love God there. Hold fast and don't waver, right? Don't waver. Listen, this is the first love. This is, is God reminding you right here to return to your first love. That's what he's doing. For he is faithful that promised. See, God, God, God's promises are better than what the world promises. See, when that boss comes and pats you on the back and says, hey, you did a good job, we might have to promote you, immediately the flesh goes, hey, I can pay off my car sooner. I'm going to go after it. Hey, I can get my kids this, that, or the other. I'm going to go after it. But God said he's your provider. God said honor him with all that you have and you'll never do without God said he's your provider and the word of God says right there he's faithful who promised. So immediately when that flesh goes oh yeah if I keep doing good the boss is going to promote me. You're believing that more than God's faithfulness. You've been enticed by the carrot on the stick to go after something and stop trusting in God. So this verse right here is point, pointing us back to our first love. Pointing us back to our first love. And I'm going to move on to verse number 24 and 25, but this one, I'll just tell you right now, is going to move you away from your second love. 
See, your first love is God. You see that in Revelation. Where am I pulling that from? Well, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but he didn't stop. He took another breath. He went, and your neighbor likewise. See, there wasn't a period there. He just took a breath, and everybody thinks he stopped talking. But he didn't stop talking. God called us to not only love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but to love our neighbor likewise. And you might say, well, who's my neighbor, right? Who's my neighbor? Well, the Word of God spells that out for you. Jesus said, whoever you look at, right? Whoever you're around. But the Bible teaches us to do good to the household of faith first. It's what it says. It's what it says. Do good to the household of faith first. Take care of those in the house of faith first. Look what it says in verse number 24. And, so first one is, is, is returning to your first love. And let us consider one another. Consider your neighbor. Listen to this. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And don't look to the left or right, right. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ. The day of Christ. It, the more that you see the day approaching, you should be assembling more as a body. And one of the things that I want you to point, I want to point out is God's not just asking that you get counted on the roster. God doesn't care about just counting on the roster. God's not impressed by our attendance, right? God's not impressed by our certificates on our wall of perfect attendance. It's why we attend, right? Why we attend. That's the first love. But what's the second love? Consider one another, provoke to love and to good works. That's the second love. You see, here's the thing. God doesn't like it when we miss. God doesn't like it when we forsake the assembling of ourselves together for multiple reasons. But here's a very, very important and biblical one is because God wants you to be connected to the body of Christ so that you can provoke one another to love, so that you can encourage one another to good works. God wants you invested in what he's doing, which is the body of Christ in the church. God wants you to get connected and invested. Why? So that he can use you to tell other people, right, how good God is. So he can use you to love on other people and to get them to love God, to provoke unto love and to good works. So see, God uses us. One of the, most, one of the, the best Bible studies you'll see in the New Testament in, in the epistles is the one another verses, okay? Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, edify one another. Come on now. And so one of the things that you see here is this call to provoke each other to love and to good works. That means as much as you care about you, well, I, 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 I wanted to serve on such and such ministry, and they didn't let me serve on that ministry. I'm just not going to that church anymore. See, that's us inserting ourselves in, in, in the place where we're not supposed to because our first love is God. And our second love is supposed to be our neighbor. Bible will ne you'll never see a verse where the Bible tells you to love yourself. 
That's psychology right there. The Bible never will tell you to love yourself. You're always going to look out for you. But will you first love God, and then will you put others before you? See, this is the key to ministry. You see, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. That's why he washed the feet of the disciples before the cross. That's why he served them. He was setting an example for them, how they should do for one another. And that's how we as believers should be. Before we want all the attention and all the accolades, we should make sure that everybody else at the church is plugged in, on fire, and doing good works. We should be invested in one another's lives more than making sure that we're on the front line. We should be invested. This is, this is whenever you're getting on page with God and you're beginning to, this is why some people say, I just feel like God's not using me. I, you know, I got all these gifts and I've got all this and God's just not opening any door for me. And everybody at your church, their lives falling apart. And you can't take the time to encourage them. You can't take the time to provoke them to love God. You can't take the time to encourage them to do good works. All, we're all, all we do is be self-conceited Christians. A self-conceited Christian is not a good Christian. It, it's worthless. It's like salt with, with no flavor, right? It's lost the saltness. It's lost the saltness. And what good is it? Amen? What good is it when, when, when we're all about ourselves? But Jesus wasn't all about himself. We call ourselves Christians because we're supposed to be followers of Christ. But what we are is exalters of self. If, if, if worship was too long, we don't like it, we're out. If worship was too short, we don't like it, we're out. Pastor preaches too hard, I don't like it, I'm out. Pastor lays too many softballs, I'm out. What is that? We're exalting self. We're putting ourself above others. When, when you are connected in, and see, people aren't going to grow outside of being connected to the body of Christ. God doesn't have Lone Ranger Christians. Even John the Baptist had a church family. Even John the, John the Baptist wasn't out there by himself all the time. He had, to, he had men and women of God around him. You see, God never called us to be lone rangers. God called us to get invested in the body of Christ. And what I mean by invested, I'm not talking about your talents. I'm not talking about your money. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about your heart. Seeing God move in other people's lives, that's what God wants more, more than us getting on a platform. More than that, God wants us to be able to take the time. Say, you know what? God doesn't have me doing anything in any kind of known ministry or seen ministry, but I'm going to invest my life. I know brother so-and-so is going through a hard time. I'm going to make sure I'm there every time he's there. I'm going to sit by him. I'm going to make sure, right, during worship, I'm going to tell him, come on, let's worship. Hey, you want to study the word after church? Let's go get a cup of coffee and, and, and continue the conversation. This is how we invest in one another's lives and keep each other provoked unto love and to good works is by investing our lives in one another. And it comes first from loving God and then loving those whom he died for. 
And if we'll invest ourselves in that, we'll be on the right track. The, 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 the thing is, is we're too, we're too worried about our own selves to first love God as we should, much less, I mean, what I'm telling you tonight about how the church should operate is radical. To anybody that hears it, they're going, that's crazy. No, that's biblical. That's what the Bible says. See, but we, we treat church as I got to go get my name on the roll, get my name checked off, and go home. Did what I was supposed to do. But did you love God, and did you love others while you were there? Did you exalt God, and did you provoke others to love? That's what God's looking for. And see, I, I just had a conversation with somebody a while ago, and they were, I don't, you know, I, I know God's called me to ministry. I know he has. I'm just waiting on him to open the right door. The door is open. Every time you're around another believer, there's a door open. Every time you're around an unbeliever, the door's open. And every time you're by yourself, the door's open. See, when you're by yourself, you should be feasting on God. When you're around other believers, you should be encouraging them to love God. And when you're around unbelievers, you should be testifying of God. See, there's always opportunity for ministry. You just may not have the spotlight on you. Amen? If the spotlight's not on you, it'll reveal what your motive is. Some people won't testify about God unless the spotlight's on them. Some people won't love others unless everybody knows about it. And some people won't go to church unless their world's falling apart. So, second love will grow cold. See, sin will, will begin, sin will begin by separating you from God, causing you to go back into the bushes. And then it will secondly cause you to grow cold in your love for others. You see, we talked about earlier, but instead of finding, um, instead of having compassion on others, you'll look at them as competition. Competition. Seen it too many times. Somebody's competing for your role. Got to trip them up. Got to tell pastor all their faults. Got to tell the, the got to tell the worship leader all their faults so they don't use them anymore. See, when when we look at others instead of in compassion but as competition, we're doing the devil's bidding. And and, and God's desire, God's desire, right? before he has a big church is to have a pure church God is the one who builds the church listen to this please listen God's not going to build on a faulty brick God's not going to build on a hollow brick you see it, it, we might put on that persona of righteousness but if there's nothing there on the inside God knows it and when God goes to build his church he's not going to build on a faulty brick know that God will change us or God will move us out but God if you look at the way that God built the church in, in Acts God's priority more than more than size was purity more than popularity was holiness. See, the church in Acts fought over doctrine. 
not carpet. Church in Acts fought over doctrine and theology. The true church contends over the matters of theology. But what we contend over is getting attention and accolades and why our voice wasn't heard and why we didn't get to choose the color of the carpet and why nobody noticed what I did. When we look at things in competition, we're not looking at it through the eyes of God. So number one, sin will sin is a taskmaster. It comes to separate you from God, and it will also separate you from God's people. Once you see yourself moving into the bushes, and once you see yourself absenting from the house of God, you know that the devil's doing work in you. He may not have you going out slinging drugs on the street corner, but he's got you where he wants you nonetheless. It's all in a manner to get you in the bushes and away from God's people. If he can get you in the bushes and away from God's people, he's got you where he wants you. But here's the, here's the blessing, is that Jesus came, right? Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free, and, and the word of God says that he came to destroy the works of Satan. He came to destroy the works of Satan, and he does to every single person who calls on him with a right heart. Every single person that calls on him with a right heart, he will come to. He will come to. Let me, let me close with this. And, and, and here's the thing about it. We'll, we'll finish this another time. But in every situation, every person has sinned and come short of God's glory. Your sin will do one of two things. Your sin will either leave you in, in, in darkness or it'll lead you to the feet of Jesus. See, the woman that was caught in adultery, they threw her at the feet of Jesus. She looked up at the Lord. She said, what about you? What about you? He said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin less. No, no, no. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He would, he, yeah, he, he had a little John the Baptist there, didn't he? He said, go sin no more. In other words, leave your life of sin. In other words, turn from it, woman. He said, I'm not going to throw a rock at you, but I'm calling you to a different life. I'm calling you to come out of the shadows and come into the light. And if you're willing to come out of the shadows and into the light, God will receive you and restore you even tonight. God will do a new work in you. God will renew your love for him and your love for others even tonight. But you've got to be willing to walk away from the life of sin. You've got to be willing to walk away from the shadows, from the bushes. You've got to be willing Whenever the Lord says, go, sin no more, to say, thank you, Lord, I'm not going to that place anymore. I'm never going back to that guy's house. She was caught in the very act of adultery. I'm never going back to that God. Thank you for the second chance. Thank you for the third chance. Thank you for the fourth, whatever chance you're on. Thank God for it. Because you've got breath, you've got hope. Thank God for it. And go sin no more.
draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God, the Bible says, and he will what? He will draw nigh to you. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy that's available for us tonight. 